0: So we're in Luke chapter 5 this week. If you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn there. We'll be in verses 1 through 11. You can follow along on our YouVersion live event, and you can follow along with the notes there. Uh, If you don't know where to find that, you can find me on Facebook. I I put a Facebook or Twitter, I put a link out every week. You can click on it, it'll bring you right there. If you don't have your own Bible, the Bibles in the chairs are yours. They're our gift to you. It's on page 860 in that Bible. Uh, We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. And today, as we read this passage, we're going to be hearing about Jesus' call, his first call to his first disciples to follow him. Now, what would it take? What would it take for you to leave your life as you know it in order to follow Jesus? Well, to leave it, every, everything. What, what more would you want to know about Jesus? What, what more would you want to know about what that life would look like on the other side? The concept of following Jesus, it's not new, it's not something new, some new methodology, some new terminology. This is really as old as Christianity is. It really stems and finds its its roots in Jesus himself and his first calling of, of his disciples to follow him. And through them, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, even we sit here in this room as people who have heard this call, follow me. If you're here last week, you you heard as we finished that this idea that Jesus had come. Jesus had come to these people in Capernaum. Jesus had come to them and healed them and blessed them. They came to him and were able to enjoy his blessings and enjoy his, his goodness. And so so Jesus had come to them and, and because of that, they came to him. They were able to go to him and they were that they were able to, to come to Jesus. But Jesus never intended for us to just come and sit with him. He intended for us to get up and go and follow him. Coming to Jesus is just one part of the equation. Coming to Jesus is just a piece of what he's called us to. We, we move from coming to Jesus to following Jesus. It's not just to come and sit, but it's to get up and follow. Let's read this passage, and I think you'll see that break out in front of you. And, and truly today, as we're sitting here, I, there's not a person that's here. There's not a person that has, has made their way to this place today that God doesn't intend to hear that call again. Follow me. On one occasion, beginning in verse 1, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennarset. It's also the lake of Galilee. It's just another name for it. And he, was by, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And so here's this thing. This, Jesus was powerful and he had authority and people were flocking to him to hear him and to receive from him. They wanted their they wanted their sicknesses healed. They wanted their demons cast out. They they longed to see Jesus' power. They longed to hear his teaching. He was being followed by many, many people. And, and on this occasion, they were pressing into him. He's down at the lake at the at the at the bank on a side of a lake. And they're pressing in. There's so many of them. They're pressing in and basically forcing him into the water. I mean, just picture this moment. And so he sees these boats and he steps into one of them and he asks the fisherman that's in it, Peter, by it just happens to be Peter. Okay, it's probably appointed to be Peter. Peter's there and, and it's his boat, and Jesus steps into it and he says, put out for a little bit. Put it, put out just a little ways. And, and what he does is he uh, he basically builds this, this uh just Amphitheater. The bank, they're they're standing on the bank, and usually if you if you're familiar with the way the lakes happen, the, the bank kind of goes up and away, and so he's standing out in the middle on this water, and, and now many, many people are able to hear him preach, are able to hear his word. That's what they're come for. They've come to Jesus, and he teaches them. And when he had finished speaking, this is verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. <clears throat> and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. Start contrast to the night before. The nets were breaking. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What would it take for you to leave everything behind in order to follow Jesus? What more would you need to know about him? What more would you need to know about the life that's on the other side of following him? I mean, inheriting these questions, let just, just admit it, let's be honest about it. Inherent in these questions is the admission that we don't follow him, at least not fully. The truth is, I think this concept of following Jesus is is something that the church has been missing, has lost. And I think it's not just our church. I don't think it's just the churches of our day. I think it's something that we lost a long time ago. We've adopted a process of coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus and taking from him his good things. Taking from him the, the things that we, okay, I, I, I'm sick, I need to be healed, I, I've got a problem, I need his power, I, I, I need him, and so I'm going to come to Jesus. And we take from him, and then we go on about our life until we need something else from him. So I think, I, and please hear me, brothers and sisters, I think we are guilty of coming to Jesus and not following Jesus. It's not where we want to be, but I think it is where we are. It's, I think it's not where we want to be, and I think it's evident in some of the songs we, th- we sing. I mean, we, we sing songs about this. I mean, Oceans by Hillsong. I love that it. song. It's one of my favorite songs that we sing here. First time I ever heard it. I don't know. I was at a conference somewhere and I was blown away. I mean, it was in my mind and my heart the rest of the rest of that week. I was I was oh man. And I came back. I was like, we got to figure out how to sing that song. And I don't do that a lot, but man, we needed to sing that song. We get to the point in that song where I don't I don't know if it's a bridge or a tag or a second chorus or maybe in a fourth. Cor- I don't know what they call that stuff because. I'm not a musician. But we get to this point, this powerful and important point where we ask God to lead us. Spirit, lead me. I mean, this is a plea. This is a prayer. Spirit, lead me to where my trust is without borders. There's no boundary. There's no limit there's no end to me, to me trusting you. Lead me to that place. Let me walk upon the waters. Let me do things that are impossible for me to do. Let me do the things that only you have done. Where, wherever you would call me, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. Bring me to places I wouldn't go on my own. Bring me to to things that I wouldn't do on my own. And my faith will be made stronger. Lead me to this place. We're pleading with God to to lead us. We're pleading with God, admitting we want to follow Him. But I'm afraid we're afraid to follow Him. I'm afraid we've never been taught, we've never been shown. We're missing out on the fact that we weren't just called to come to Him but to get up and follow him. Another popular, we we haven't sung this in a while, and this is not intentional, but I found out after I'd already planned to use this, we're actually going to sing it today, and I think we should continue to sing it, but a song by Chris Tomlin, I Will Follow. We come to a point in the song where we say, where you go, I'll go. Will we? Do we? Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Who you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Will we? Do we? Is the church known for loving the hurting and the oppressed and the broken and the sick and the sinful? Is the church known? Is it it stereotypical of the church to be in places where brokenness reigns? Is it typical of the church to die to themselves, to give themselves up so completely and so fully that it's God's purposes alone that they live for? It's not just our church. But it is our church. Are we really willing to do this? When we sing this song later, I would encourage you not to declare it, but pray for the heart to do it, to follow through with it. Listen, are we really we really ready? Are we really ready to follow the example set by Peter, Andrew, James, and John to leave everything behind and follow Jesus? In fact, let me, let me just say this. Are, are we ready not just to follow them? Because What? He was calling them to do what he had already done. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he isn't just asking us. He isn't asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. He stepped out of heaven. He took on the form of a servant. He was born as a baby and laid in a manger. He lived in slums. The king of glory left the throne room to live in poverty with the poor and provide hope and healing to those who are sick, sinfully sick. What's it going to take? What do you? What, what, what more do we need to know? What, what, what more do we need to know about Jesus? What more do we need to know about this life? Luke has done such a good job of showing us glimpses of the man, his mission, and his message. He has shown us the character and the calling and the confidence of Christ. He brings us to this place where he, he shows us the call. Today, I think that's the call on our church. On every person sitting in this room. And the people who been sitting in this room in the next service, that is our call. So let me just strive to reason with you. Four reasons from the text why this is the thing we should give our lives to. First, there's no better plan than following Jesus' plan. Peter had been likely fishing all of his life. Probably learned it from his dad. If you're a father and you've taught your son something, and you know what this is like, I mean, you, you, you pour everything you know into them, and then you see them begin to use it, and, and Peter, you, I mean, if you're a son that's had a father teach you and show you the, the ropes and show you things, and, and now you know, man, you, you know what the generations before you did, and now you know. And here comes Jesus, a preacher by calling, but a, but a carpenter by trade, who likely has probably never cast a net in his life, step into Peter's boat and say, hey, let's go out a little deeper and let's do some fishing. You see, Peter's not exactly exuberant about this idea. We've been fishing all night and we didn't catch anything. And his answer, I mean, you, you hear it, you hear his exhaustion. You know, I've been fishing all night. I, it, it, was, it was hot in the day. It was the, the heat of the day would force fish to the, to the depths. And so fishermen in that day who were fishing with these nets along these boats, along the sides of these boats, they would, they would fish at night because the, the fish would come to the surface. And so, and so it was night. they have been fishing all night here. They're doing their recovery work. They're like trying to finish their day off. And, and they're sitting there tired after working third shift. And they're sitting in, and hearing this guy preach. And they're like, man, who, what's he doing getting in my boat? Now I'm going to be late getting home. I'm tired. We don't even know how much of the sermon they're paying attention to because they're taking care of their nets and trying to get ready to go home at the end of the day. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to interrupt your plans. We're going to go fishing. And he's like, wait a minute. I'm tired. What in the world does Jesus know about fishing? When we hear his doubt, there's no fish to be caught in Peter's mind. We we, we already already were out there. We were already in this place. There's no fish to be caught. we hear his reluctance, If if it were anyone else but you, Jesus, I'd have a few choice words for them. But since it's you, okay. Let's get the nets back out, boys. We got some work to do to appease this guy, this man, Jesus. Who of us hasn't been there? Like, have you been there? Are you maybe there now? Exhausted I'm just tired or too busy to do what Jesus says, like like to, to live according to his plan? Or are we just too tired for that? Too busy for that? To, so busy working 50, 60 hours a week or, or or raising kids at home, or which doesn't end? I mean that's like a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week job. Is life just so busy that we're just too tired to do what Jesus calls us to do? are we doubtful that Jesus really even knows what he's talking about? I mean, seriously, he lived 2,000 years ago. Does he really know about modern life and how we should be using money and approaching sex and spending our time and energy and efforts? Does, Does he really know? How many of us are reluctant to obey? Like you'll hear a message like this and, and you'll feel, my, feel the preacher twisting your arm a little bit, and you'll, all right, I'll do it. Who's not been there? Hey, I'm a preacher. I, I've been there. Like, I got to deal with this first. I dealt with it this week, I was reluctant to obey. Some of us never get past the tired and doubtful. Some of us never even get to the reluctant obedience. We, we make our own plans. We set our own course. We, we determine our own way of life. We, we do the things that we think are right and what we think are, are good. So we, we use every bit of our time, our energy, and our money on, on what we think is wise and worthwhile. And worse yet, we have Christian people, Christian leaders writing books to tell us that that's that's the right thing to do. That don't do anything that's expected of you by other people. That don't do anything that makes you stressed out or makes life difficult for you. If you don't like it, if it doesn't feel good, you shouldn't be doing it. You determine your own path. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ has given you a path to follow. And He's walking it ahead of you. And He says, follow me on it. Go where I'm going. That's what he's calling us to. It's not going to be easy. We're going to get exhausted. We're going to feel doubtful. At times we're going to seem reluctant. But the call to follow Jesus is a call to live in obedience to his plan. Hear that. His plan in which his grace and his mercy are powerfully worked out on our behalf. That's what he wants for you, to be at the end of yourself so that you no longer rest in your own power. So that you no longer strive to do things out of your own wisdom. So that you never lean on your own understanding, but that you must learn to trust him more fully. That's the very thing we plead for when we sing the song Oceans. And the beauty is it's the very thing he longs for you to enjoy. Peter reluctantly obeys, and his catch of fish is so overwhelming. Well, the nets were breaking, the boats were sinking, these boats they're they're 30 feet long, they're eight feet wide. That's a a lot of fish. 30 feet wide, it's almost as wide as this, this room. Eight feet, or 30 feet long, eight feet wide. That's huge. It's a huge number of fish. They're not out in a little dingy, caught three or four. But they saw the blessing of God in the midst of their exhaustion, in the midst of their doubt, and in the midst of their reluctance. That's where they found Jesus. That's where they saw his power at work. All over, we're striving for all kinds of things in life. We're building our own plans, but Jesus... God the Father, our good, gracious, glorious God has given us a plan to follow the great commandment. Love the the Lord your God with all your heart, with your whole being. It means everything that you're about, make sure that it's about loving him. The Great Commission, go make disciples. Go make disciples. Get up and make sure that other people are hearing about him, learning from him. The Great Commission or the great, the great Commandment, the Great Commission, the Great Commitment, 59 times, 59 times. The New Testament commands us, calls us to something for one another. That's the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's you and me. They love one another, serve one another, forgive one another. Many Christians are exhausted, doubtful, and reluctant because instead of following Jesus' plan... They've come with their own, and in so doing, they've cut themselves off from the grace and the mercy and power of God. Some of us are struggling simply because we're not following his plan. We're striving after our own. Let me give you an instance of this. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, each of us have received something. We have all been given a gift from God. If you have salvation and that's all you got, that's a pretty big gift. Use it to serve God one another. That means give yourself out to one another. Like, make sure you submit yourself to the needs of other people and humble yourself under their needs. How? Why? As good stewards of God's varied grace. You see, brothers and sisters, we each have a piece of God's grace, his various and, and, and manifold grace, the, the, the grace that shows itself in so many different ways, and, and you've been given a piece of it. And, and, and I've been given a piece of it. And I need what you got, and you need what I got, and you need what the other people in this room have. And if you're not making yourself available to God's people, if you're just too tired and too, too doubtful about what he's doing, you're going to miss out on what he's determined he's going to do through us. And we're going to miss out on what he's going to do through you. And so rather than getting to run like we were intended to do, we're going to limp. when we cut ourselves off from one another that's what happens when we when we adopt a sexual ethic that's other than his we miss out on the opportunity to enjoy a deeper intimacy not just with one other person but with the oneness that that, that finds itself before the god of heaven that's united together with god we miss out on the beauty of that intimacy when we adopt a financial ethic of our own, rather than following his plan for generosity, we, we might be able to do more with our money here, where moth and rust destroy, but we are not storing up treasures in heaven where it is eternal. When we follow God's money ethic, we are able to see him do what we can't. You wanna talk about compounding interest? Let's talk about what God can do with some cash. Listen, there is no better plan than Jesus' plan. So let's follow his plan. There's no grander purpose, number two, there's no grander purpose than the one assigned by Jesus. Peter's so blown away, he falls on his knees confessing his sinfulness. But instead of of being reprimanded, instead of being condemned, and Jesus like getting in his face and like, yeah, Peter, you're sinful, I'm, I'm done with you. You've doubted me the last time. What does he say? Do not be afraid. This is a powerful moment in Peter's life. I've often wondered where Peter got saved. As I've studied this week, I think this is the moment that he was converted. Now, he made a lot of mistakes along the way. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. But I think this is the moment that it happens that he's on his boat. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. It jumped out at me as I was thinking about this. I want to just share something. Back when Mary was singing her song of praise, the, the Magnificat as it's called. As she was singing that, that song of praise and rejoicing, she says these words, Luke 150. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And so here's this moment that Peter is fearful because he has been face to face with the God who stands in flesh. That he has seen the glory. He has seen the righteousness. He has seen the power. And he recognizes, Whoa, man, I doubted him. I wanted something other than what he wanted. And he has fallen on his knees and Jesus says, do not be Afraid because in the moment of his fear, in the response of fear, Jesus' mercy flowed over him. He said to him, Do not be afraid. From now on, I want you to catch men. Do not be afraid, Peter, because you're mine. I've got something new for you. I got something new and better and more powerful for you to do. You see, there's this nuance from the original language that, that you need to hear just to, to really get this. The words we read as catch men, it's two Greek words that literally together mean catch men alive, catch people alive. When, when you go fish and catch, catch fish, it it's typically doesn't go well for the fish, right? I mean, you recognize that the fish that they caught, the, 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 the result for those fish is not really a good result. People get to eat them, people can make money off of them. But the reality is that the fish die. But what Jesus is calling them to is not to fear, not to be afraid because he has something more for them. That's to go catch men for life. It's a beautiful expression of the gospel, of the gospel purpose that he has for us. The call to follow Jesus is a call to cast the gospel net in order to catch people for eternal life. This is life and death. This is the ER of the eternal throne room. This is the, the emergency room where people are dying or living, and we have the only antidote for life. It's the gospel. And we come up with all kinds of excuses not to cast this net. I don't, wanna, I, I, I don't know enough. Are you saved? You know enough. Jesus died on, your cross, on the cross for your sins, in your place. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose again victorious. That's the basic message. And we all need to hear it. That's the gospel now. We, we don't know enough. We don't want to be preachy or offensive to others. We don't want to be intolerant of others. And, and while at some level there may be some level, some level of validity to these, the reality is that beneath them, is, at the core of them, is our desire not to follow Jesus, to, to live for our own purpose. Everyone needs to be brought to this place that Peter was. Everyone needs to see their own failure. They need to see their own ability. They need to be shown the power, the authority, the glory, and the righteousness of Jesus. Everyone needs to see it. When they quake in fear, when they feel that the oppression is too much, when they feel the the intolerance, and then they quake in fear in that moment, that's where they find His mercy. We think there's a better way. The thing is, there is no method, there's no attraction, there's, there's no thing that works better than the preaching of God's word, the gospel. It is the net that we are called to use to catch people for life. And not every one of you are called to be preachers. I get that. Not every one of us are called to be Peters. Not everyone are called to be Johns. Not everyone is called to be a Seth. I get that. But while you may not be called to be a preacher, you're connected to a preacher. And every week we do something that enables you to cast the net of God's word into the world. Every week I have people that come up to me afterwards. Every week, almost without fail. And and I'm not going to say this to Brad because I know this is not me. Trust me, I know this is not me. Every week somebody comes up to me and talks to me about how the message met them, what God's Speaking to them through the the message, and I'm blown away by that. But what we tend to do then in that moment is keep it to ourselves. You have the access, you have the opportunity to cast this net to all of your social circle. Just go out and and throw our podcast out on it. If it blessed you, it's likely going to bless others. Even if it didn't bless you, if you see that it's God's word... He can still bless others. We can follow Jesus. We can cast the net of his word, the gospel, so that people can hear and people's lives can be changed. Not all of you are evangelists. Not not every one of us are going to be those people who can can, uh, uh, evangelize everyone, but we are connected to a church who has mouthpieces. Likely there's people in your community group that can speak where you can't. You've got people that need to hear the gospel. Bring your friend to community group and bring them regularly to community group. And inside that community group, if the community group is about the gospel, like we're challenging our community groups to be if it's motivated by the gospel, they will, be, they will find themselves confronted with their own sin and their own need, and then they will get to hear of the goodness of Jesus Christ on the other side, and they will have the opportunity to quake in fear in front of him that they might experience his mercy. This is following Jesus. Together, following Jesus, playing our own part, adopting or or living according to his plan, living within his greater purpose. And there's no greater prize than Jesus. So follow him. When Peter heard Jesus' words, he was struck with their power. Andrew, James, and John were as well. They were so moved. They left everything. They left vocations. They set down their nets. They left the biggest catch of their life. I don't know what the value of these fish were, but it was sinking two boats. I can guarantee you they had never caught this many fish before. I can guarantee you nobody had seen this many fish caught before. Everyone was astonished. And these men get to the bank, and they leave it all, and they follow Jesus. Luke doesn't show it as expressly as, as the other accounts do, but even James and John, it said that his dad was, their dad was there, and they left him to follow Jesus. We can assume, I mean, we don't know what happened to the fish. We can assume... The crowds got the fish. We can assume that James and John's dad was blessed by this huge catch of fish. But what these men that followed Jesus got was even more. They got Jesus. They got Jesus. The call to follow Jesus is a call to get Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you have everything for too long the church has been coming to Jesus we've been coming to Jesus and seeking out his blessings but we've never for some time anyway we've not been following him we're more like the crowds and we see it happen over and over again in the New Testament we see it here the crowds were blessed but, but soon those fish are going to run out the money earned by those fish is going to run out When Jesus fed the multitude, five loaves, two fish, they were amazed and they came to him the next day longing for food. Because what we need more than Jesus' miracles is Jesus himself. They needed to follow Jesus. So we got to determine, what are we going to do? We're going to simply come to get from him? simply enjoy the common grace that's, that's flowing out and, and, and around and among His people? Or are we going to seek to follow Him so that we get Him? There's no better plan. There's no grander purpose, no greater prize. There is, logically, I think this makes sense, but, but we see it in the text. Number four, there's no higher priority for the Christian than following Jesus. If, it, if it's true that there is that no better plan, no greater purpose, no greater prize, logically it makes sense that there's no higher priority. But the sense of this passage is that as soon as they could, they, they, they didn't go and put things in order. It's not like they went, start, okay, I got to go make some wheels. I got to go take care of these details. Like the details of their life were left wherever they, they were. I got to follow Jesus. He is my number one priority. And the people that would go with them, the people that would go with them, they would see it and they would understand and they completely get it. Those that were around may not have understood because they're like, well, hey, we got what we wanted and we don't need anymore. But they're like, we got to have Jesus. So they live for this priority. They set things aside and they followed Jesus. You should know this wasn't the first time that they'd been exposed to him. They'd seen Jesus' miracles before. They had seen him turn water to wine. They had heard John the Baptist say that this is the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. But when they heard him call them, they wanted nothing more. They wanted absolutely no other priority in their life but to follow him. What will it take for you to, to leave your life as you know it in order to follow Jesus. Are you going to continue singing songs half-heartedly? Or are you going to sing them with, with half of your mind? Are you going to sing them to their fullest intent and the sentiment that they convey? We're not really in a place to negotiate or demand this. You, I, you, you get this, right? Right? He's shown you all you need to know. He's proven himself completely. If your answer is nothing, is, is anything other than nothing, I just want to follow Jesus, then you are living according to your own plan. You have determined your own purpose. You have looked for some greater prize. You have exalted some higher priority. Let me encourage you in closing with a song, another song. It's a song that today, it's, it's polarizing. It's polarizing any song I've ever heard. It was made popular in modern churches through uh, Billy Graham and, and um, the guy that sang with him. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but uh, George Beverly Shea, I think it was. But because of the way we view this song through our modern lens, we've missed out on the beauty of its declaration, but of what it's really behind it. But before I tell you what that song is, I just want to share the story of the song, the history behind the hymn. I'm just going to read from a couple of different sources. I think it'll be a little bit quicker, a little more concise. The late 1800s saw an evangelistic explosion in India. Entire provinces formerly closed to the gospel were swept up in a missionary movement, perhaps unparalleled in history. Wales, in particular, sent hundreds of missionaries to northern India, and they were joined by Indian evangelists, as well as missionaries from England, Australia, and the United States. This movement was remarkable for two reasons. First, it was led mostly by Indians themselves, and those men became national figures second, this missionary endeavor was focused on northern India which was firmly in the grips of the most oppressive forms of Hinduism it was a place where the caste system was entrenched and where headhunters ruled these provinces often prided themselves on the hostile reaction they gave foreigners dozens and dozens of these missionaries were martyred but despite the opposition and violence or or perhaps because of it the gospel made inroads into this previously off limits area. In the 1880s, a Welsh missionary who had endured severe persecution finally saw converts in a particularly brutal village in the Indian province of Assam. A husband and their wife and their two children professed faith in Christ and were baptized. The village leaders decided to make an example out of the husband. Arresting the family, they demanded that the father renounce Christ or see his wife and children murdered. A famous evangelist from India recounts the events in this way. He then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man sung his reply. I have decided. at the refusal of the man the chief ordered his archers to arrow down the two children as both as both boys lay twitching on the floor the chief asked will you deny your faith You have lost both your children, and you will lose your wife too. But the man replied again, singing. beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be arrowed down. In a moment she joined her two children in death. Now he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. In the the face of death the man sung. missionary returned to the village and said the revival had broken out because of the faith of this man and his family. Even the leader, the chief of the village who ordered his death was moved by this faith and said that in that moment, in the moment of witnessing that power, he converted to Christianity. It's unfortunate that this hymn has been viewed so desperately through theological and doctrinal lenses when really what it is, is a, it's a declaration of a man's desire simply to follow Jesus. To do the very thing that we, brothers and sisters, every one of us have been called to do. And so today we are sitting here at the feet of Jesus, having witnessed a miraculous catch of fish. Astonished at his power, astonished at his compassion. Do not be afraid. Called to live for his better plan, called to live in his grander purpose, live for his great prize with him as our highest priority. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? plead with you I have reasoned with you and now I plead with you follow Jesus let's pray in fact let me just go ahead and ask the band in this moment I just every head bowed, every eye closed the band come on forward I know this is outside of what we planned on and what I planned on they didn't know I was doing this I just want you to sit at Jesus' knees like Peter did that day. And I want you to own your failure before Him. And I want you to hear His grace and His mercy flowing out in his words. Do not be afraid. I have plans for you. I have a plan that's for your good, that's going to be a blessing to you. I have a purpose for you that is going to to store up treasures in heaven that's going to bring you to places that, it, that you can't depend on yourself anymore, that you, can't, that you can't look to your own wisdom anymore, that you can't think through things enough anymore, that you are going to have to lean into him on, but it's his purpose. <laughs> he has it for you. I want you to hear his call. Come. Come. Follow me, Jesus. We need you. We need you. We need you. Help us. Help us sing these songs live these words and may you make us fruitful beyond all imagining may you work in and among us it's all these things I ask in your name Jesus in your power and by your authority I ask these things Jesus